Good to see everybody. How's everybody doing? Yes. Uh, we opened uh, this this area up, and so it looks a lot cooler, a lot brighter in here. I'm just going to go straight into my sermon today. Uh, I want you guys to turn to Acts 5. I've been covering the book of Acts last week. I took a short break, um, but today I'm going to go back into the book of Acts, and we're going to go to where we left off. We're going to start from verse 17. And we're actually going to read all the way to the end of the chapter. So I'm going to read a one verse. You guys follow and read this, the verse after. We're going to take turns. And we're going to read through the, the, book, the rest of the, the chapter 5 of the book of Acts. So I'll start at uh, verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. 19. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to ask But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported... But now, now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. saying, we strictly charged you not to preach in this name. Yet you, but here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody, and a member of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. So in the present case, I tell you, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be 
And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them to not to not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching in Jesus as preaching Jesus as the Christ. Amen. Amen. So it's quite a bit of reading that we did. Uh, and it's, a, it's an exciting part of Acts. Um, it's actually the second part. It's the second time that the, the, the church, the apostles were actually persecuted. Yeah. Early in the chapter, earlier in chapter three, we saw a similar situation. The apostles, uh, Peter and John, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they healed this lame man, uh, this this beggar at the gates of the uh, at the gates of at the gate called Beautiful. Okay, and uh, people are astounded. They're like, "Man, what is this?" And then thousands, like through this healing, okay, thousands of people gather around them, and uh, thousands of people are led to Christ. And the Jewish the Jewish leaders they see this, and they they get upset. You know, if you see it from their perspective. Before this man, Jesus, came along, everything was great. Okay? They were in charge. Right. It was a theocracy, and as religious leaders, they were also in charge politically. Mm-hmm. They liked things the way they were. Mm-hmm. And this man, Jesus, claiming to be the Son of God, comes around and starts rocking the boat. And, we, and went as far as, and, and they were getting angry, and so they went as far as actually killing this man. All of a sudden, there's these claims that he's resurrected from the dead. Right. But not only that, his followers are now in his name healing people left and right and doing these miraculous things. And people, thousands of people, were being added to their numbers every day. They're like, man, this is not good for our livelihood. This has got to stop. You know, we had this good thing going. Okay? And this new movement comes around and starts messing things up for us. And so they grab their ringleader, Peter and John. They put them in jail overnight, and they give them a stern talking to. They're like, I'm warning you. Don't you dare speak or teach in the name of Jesus ever again. And right before they asked them, they asked them, like, what, by what power or whose name do you do this? And Peter's like, it's by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you have crucified, whom God himself raised from the dead. It's by his name and the name of Jesus that this man stands fully healed before you. And they can see this man healed with their own eyes, but it didn't matter because their hearts were hardened. And they're like, no more. They couldn't see. They couldn't see past the rage. They couldn't see past uh, the the, the hardened hearts. And said, "Don't, don't don't you dare speak about Jesus ever again. Don't you dare teach. Don't you dare preach about Jesus. Don't, don't do any of this in the name of Jesus again. And so they Give him a stern talking to. Give him this warning. And they let him go. But what happened after that? Did they stop? No. no. As a matter of fact, Holy Spirit takes, takes them to like a new level. Mm-hmm. Apostles, are, they're powerfully ministering. Holy Spirit comes. It's so powerful that people come and lay like sick, sick people down on the street. And as Peter walks by, his, ha- his shadow heals the sick people. Yeah. And news of this spreads throughout Jerusalem. And thousands, thousands more are being added to their numbers. It says, every day, more than ever, people are being added to their numbers of those who believe. And the religious leaders, it says, the high priests and all who were with them, which were the Sadducees. The Sadducees, 
They got all riled up. They got angry. You know why? Because the status quo, the way things were before Jesus, had made them very wealthy. These were the wealthy, upper echelon, the upper class of the Jewish society. They were like the aristocrats. And, and all of these, as thousands of people in Jerusalem are, are starting to follow this new movement, they're like, man, this is going to mess up things for us. This, this, this is going to get into my pocket. I mean, it's gonna, this, this is not good. So they got, all, they got all wild up. They got all excited. So they go with the high priest. And then, they, and then they grab the apostles. They arrest them. It says that they arrested them. Handcuffs. You're under arrest. You're going to jail. Just not Peter, but all the apostles this time. He, they, he, they go and they put them in public prison. And then what happens? At night, they're in prison. What, night, what happens? An angel comes, opens the door for them and says, go. And stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And so, the, and so they, at the break of dawn, at the crack of dawn, they get up and they go. And they're found preaching the word, preaching the gospel in the temple. And the high priests, they gather all the, the council of the Senate of Israel. And they're like, bring these men to us. And the officers go, come back. And they're like, man, they're gone. It's not our fault because we, we found the prison. It's securely locked. So it's not us. They're just gone. We don't know where they went. And someone's like, look. Those men, the men that you're talking about, they're in the temple right now, and they're preaching. And they're, they're speaking to the people. They're teaching the people. And the captain and the officers run to the temple. And I want you guys to imagine this, okay? I, I want you guys to imagine what's going on. They're running to the temple, and they run, and they see the apostles teaching. And when they see the crowd, it wasn't 20. It wasn't 30. It was hundreds. It was thousands. So much so that the captain and the temple guards, they're afraid that they're going to get stoned if they try to get the apostles. And they're like, they just, they, they, it's a, they did not take him by force. They're like, uh, Paul, Peter, come here, come here. <laughs> Can you guys come with us? I know there's some guys that want to talk with you. And all, we, you know, you get, you know we, we, we don't want any trouble. Can you just come with us? Uh, you know, and, we'll, and these men want to talk with you. It says they, they were afraid that they were going to get stoned. And so they, 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 they couldn't take them by force. Do you guys see what's happening here? These men, these simple men, they were, these are simple men. Mm-hmm. They're fishermen. They were, they were common men, uneducated. They were not of the, they're not the scribes and the Pharisees. These are not the, the, the educated, the, the, the religious people of their generation. These were just simple men, uneducated men with no clout, with no stature had turned Jerusalem upside down. Because what does the council say? When they appear before them, it says in verse 28, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. The religious leaders, they were disturbed, not just because the apostles were teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. They were disturbed because as they were ministering in the name of Jesus, they were making a huge impact. They were making a huge dent in their society. They were changing things. Thousands of people were being added to their numbers. In a very short amount of time. And every day, more were being added to their numbers. And the high priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they wouldn't have given, they wouldn't have, like, cared. They wouldn't have given a hoot. 
if when Peter preached, there was like only 50 people standing there. If the captain of the temple guards and the, and the officers ran out to the temple to see where the apostles were, and there was like a hundred people standing there, they would have been like, oh man, we could take them. I got my sword, I got my shield, and we could take them. But no, they were afraid because they had been thousands gathered there. They had turned Jerusalem upside down. They had filled Jerusalem with their teaching. They had made a huge impact. And how did they do this? Because I want to know. Because I would like to turn Busan upside down for the kingdom of God. I would like to fill this city with the teachings of Jesus Christ. How did they do this? What was the key? And we find it in Peter's response. He says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. He loves saying that to them. Like sticking it in their face. God exalted him. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. If you want to know the key to how they were able to flip Jerusalem upside down in such a short amount of time, the key was obedience. Yes, it was through the power of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit was activated by their obedience. Obedience was the key. We must obey God rather than men. You know, last week I took a break from my Acts series and I preached about the power of a testimony. Mm-hmm. Who, who remembers my sermon from last week? The power of a testimony. There's, there's power in your testimony. It has the power to heal, how to power to bring breakthrough into other people's lives, breakthrough into your life. There's power in the testimony. We talked about Pastor JM's testimony of, of God holding back the rain. Man, I claim that testimony for next week when we go to Jezebel because it's supposed to rain all week. I looked at the weather. It was like cloud rain, cloud rain, cloud. I was like, oh, man, we got to pray. But I claim his testimony. There's power in a testimony. But do you know that behind every testimony... There is an act of obedience. Mm, Whether it's turning away from sin, stepping out in faith or praying, testimonies are driven by obedience. You want a mighty testimonies in your life? Start obeying the word of God. You start walking in obedience to God, God he'll write testimonies in your life. And when we see in the book of Acts these amazing testimonies of God, testimonies of the apostles that God is writing through them, we see it goes hand in hand with their complete and utter obedience to God. You know, according to the religious leaders, they had filled the city with their teaching. It says, another another, uh, version, it says, filled filled the city of Jerusalem with their doctrine. They had filled the city with the gospel of Jesus. And it came from an unwavering obedience to God. Brothers and sisters, this is the type of obedience that God is calling in the church today. It's this kind of obedience that he's calling in his bride. You and me. As a church. No matter what, we must obey God. We must obey God and not man. So what does this kind of obedience look like? What did the obedience of the apostles look like? From this, from this chapter. Number one. 
obedience to God was their number one priority. You know, as people, we're living in a civilized society. We all live in a civilized society, right? There are many people and powers to which we need to be obedient to. Growing up, we should obey your parents, right? You all need to, you you know, I I wasn't very good at it. If you're going to be a good son, if you're going to be a good daughter, you got to obey your parents. When When you're a student... You need to obey your teachers. You want good grades, you gotta you gotta obey your teachers and what they're teaching you and what they're telling you to do. You grow up, you get a job, you gotta obey your boss. Now say I'm I'm the boss of a. I'm gonna pick somebody, Kelly. I ask Kelly's Kelly's my employee and, and I'm her boss and I say Kelly, I want you to take this uh, report, uh, read read through it and and write out a summary for me and have it for me ready on my desk by tomorrow. And she looks at me and says, Can you do it? I'll be like, what? And she's not going to work for me anymore. (laughs) If you want a job, if you want to keep a job, you got to obey your bosses. Women, when you get married, you got to obey your husbands. It's biblical. (laughs) It's true. Life flows through that. The government, the Bible says that we should be subject to the higher powers. Jesus himself says, give to Caesar that belongs to Caesar. We need to obey the government because ultimately it's instituted by God. You got to pay your taxes. You got to obey traffic laws, right? Right. Unless you're on a scooter. You should not steal cars and run away from the police. (laughs) You have to obey the government. We have to be be obedient to the laws of the land. And these are all true. You have to be. And God calls us to be obedient to the peoples and powers that he establishes over us. But what we learn from the apostles' obedience is that above all else, above all else, the number one priority in our obedience has to be God. It has to be God. You know, and like the apostles were told by the angels, it said, what did the angels tell them to do? Go and stand in the, it's after the angel opens the gates for him. And he tells the apostles, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And in our obedience to God, if our obedience to God is to be number one, there's going to be times in our lives where we're going to have to make a stand. We've got to stand. We've got to stand in the temple. We've got to make that stand. And one of the ways that we, like an example of this, some of you guys are Korean, and is the thing of Chesa. I don't know if you guys know what Chesa is. It's basically ancestor worship. And in Korea, during holiday seasons, family will get together. And they make all this, you know, food. Put it on the table. And put a picture of, like, their dead relatives. And they bow down to it. And they pray. Pray, like, for, for good, for good uh, luck this upcoming year. And at the heart of this is idolatry. You're worshiping and praying to something other than God. And it's occultic because you're... Now, if you guys don't know what occultic means, occultic means trying to get knowledge or power from a source other than God. So by praying to these ancestors and asking for good luck, you're basically, you're dabbling in the occultic. Right. And you guys might think like, oh, it's all harmless. You guys, when, some of you guys might have gone to see those fortune tellers that they have at the beach. Oh, I just want to see who I'm going to marry. What's he going to look like? He's going to make a lot of money. But you know what? That's all occultic. And God hates the occultic. And there are consequences and things 
that happen to you when you dabble in the idolatry and in the occultic. Healing and deliverance. When we, we have a healing and deliverance ministry at our church, and it, through this healing and deliverance, we, one of the, some of the questions that we ask is, have you been, like, doing anything occultic? Have you been going to a fortune teller? Have you been, like, you know, getting your, your pulse read by the acupuncturist? So all, that, all that, you're trying to get knowledge and power from a source other than God. It's the occultic. And we, we, we get you to, you know, confess, repent, and renounce these things. Right. It's not like, you know, we didn't make it up. It's not something that we, like, oh, we made up a new Philly. No, it's in the Bible. It's biblical. First mm-hmm. John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins. And we, we, get, we get people to walk through healing and deliverance regarding the occultic. And when you look at Chesha, at the heart of it is idolatry and it's the occultic. And as you mature in your relationship with Jesus and you grow in your obedience to God, Holy Spirit is going to start convicting you. You're going to be a time where you're going to have to make a stand. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm warning, I, if you guys are Korean and, and your family does this, you know, I warn, don't go to your parents and say, I'm never going to do this again. This, you guys are all, you know, devil worshippers. Don't be like that. You got you to be like wise in how you approach this. You know, may, maybe next time if you don't want, and if you some, some people, are, their family's deep in this. And they're like the only believers in the family. And, and you know, they're like, man, you got to do it. What are you doing? And it's tough. You know, and it's tough to make that stand. And it's, there's grace. God gives you grace. You know, and maybe, you know, next time, you know, you don't pray to, to the, the, your ancestors. You pray to Jesus. And you don't drink that wine. But if, right now, if Holy Spirit is convicting you, saying it's time for you to make the stand, you know, you pray for your family, you pray for yourself, and next time Jezza comes around, you make a stand. You make a stand. There's times in our lives we're going to have to make a stand for the obedience of Christ. You know, families, it could be tough. There, me and Pastor Mina, when we got married, it was tough. And there was a lot of crazy things that happened with her, her parents. But at, at, the, at the end, ultimately... We have to obey God. Now, our number one priority in our obedience was to God. It wasn't to our parents. Mm-hmm. It couldn't be to our parents. It had to be to God. Families can be tough, but it's, you know, in the word of God, it's clear. Luke fourteen twenty six. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Matthew ten thirty four. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Man, he's not saying, like, man, be mean to your family. He's not saying go and, like, you know, cut all ties with your mom and dad. No. But what, what he's saying here is your number one priority, your number one obedience has to be to me first. It has to be to me. It's got to be me. I will not share my glory with another. 
And in our, in our obedience to God, He has to be number one. You know, in your workplace, your boss tells you, man, you've done a great job. I want you to come drinking with us. I'll take you to this bar, get you some girls. You gotta take a stand. You gotta say no! You gotta say no. No matter what, what it entails, if, 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 if the priority, if your priority is, is in, in what your boss thinks of you, 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 you got it twisted. And with your spiritual authority, the Bible tells you, you know, honor, like, you gotta submit to your spiritual authority. But if I tell you one day, Trevor, I want take, I want you to go and take the, the offering envelope, take half the money and put it in my car, put it in my backpack, you gotta say, no! No, Pastor Caleb, no! Can't do that. You gotta make a stand. Because your number one priority in obedience has to be to God. It can't be to any man. It can't be to any powers. It has to be to God. Doesn't mean that you don't obey those things. Doesn't mean you, you're, you become an anarchist and start saying, no, I will not. The, the government has no power over me. No. But he's saying your number one priority above all else needs to be to, be to God. Even for, to your own body, even to your own life, your body, your mind. It says in the Word of God that we are to bring, bring into obedience every thought captive. Every thought captive to obedience to Christ. In our priority to obedience, God has to be number one, above all else. And then number two, when we look at the apostles and we look at the type of obedience that they had, they had an obedience it was, it was no matter the cost, they were obedient to God. We have to be obedient to God no matter the cost. There is a cost to obedience. For the apostles, it was imprisonment. It was getting beat up. It was getting put to death. There is a cost to obedience. You know, they're put in prison. They're put into the prison, and the angel comes and opens the door. And immediately the angel tells him, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And they weren't like, yo, angel, don't you know that that's how we ended up here in the first place? You want us to go back to the temple and do the same thing? You want us to, to anger those, those, those people even more? You want, them, you want them to beat us up? You want them to whip us? You want them to kill us like they did to Jesus? You, you must be out of your mind, angel. <laughs> but no, they weren't like that. They counted the cost. Yeah. When, when, when the angel said, go, to go stand, make a stand at the temple. They put you in prison. I'm going to let you go. Go make a stand at the temple and, and start preaching about Jesus Christ. And right there, they, they counted the cost. They said, all right, I'm going to do it. And they say at the crack of dawn, right when the sun came up, they went and they were preaching the gospel at the temple. They counted the cost, and they said it was worthy. The type of obedience demonstrated by the apostle was obedience to Christ at all costs. And there was a price to obedience, and they were willing to pay it. You know, there is a cost to obedience. It has been estimated that there's been more martyrs in the 20th century than all the other centuries combined. And some researchers say that as they go as far as saying 65% of all martyrs have been killed in the 20th century. And I don't know how accurate these figures are. 
But it's undeniable that there are Christians out there being persecuted in this world. To them, there is a cost to obedience. You know, less than 300 miles to the north is less than 300 miles. It's about 500 kilometers. There are Christians in North Korea that worship in complete secrecy. Because being found as a Christian can kill you. If you find the Bible in your house, your whole family can get killed. And yet the remnant of Christ remains in North Korea. Because they count the cost of obedience. And they say it's worth it. You know, there used to be a guy by the name of Dr. Rowe. Sorry. There used to be, uh, I'll pass this. She gave me the sign. But there are Christians in North Korea. And and they're getting persecuted. There are stories of women that travail so long on on a piece of wood. They're they're praying to God so quiet. They they can't pray out loud. They're praying in secrecy. But they're travailing to God so much for so long that that they, they make grooves in the wood. You know, there are stories of, of women's knees making grooves in the wood. They pr- pray in the same place every day. And when they pray, they don't pray out loud. They're like, they're praying in the spirit. They're praying from the depths of their heart. But they're praying so, so fervently with so much zeal for so long that they've left grooves in the wood. There are, there's a remnant in North Korea that will believe Jesus Christ. They will put their life in Jesus Christ at all costs. They will be obedient to Christ at all costs. It happens all around the world. It happens in Iran. It happens in Africa. But for us living in America, some of you guys are from Canada. For you guys living in Canada, it's good in Canada too. For those, for those of us living in Korea, it's not that extreme. You know, Some of you guys may have lived your whole life and have been very little, have seen very little cost to your obedience to Christ. In which case, I ask you, how much are you trying to fulfill the calling and the mandate that God has placed over your life? Are you stepping out in faith into the lost world, which desperately needs you? In our society that's becoming more and more secular and worldly every day, are you actively standing firm in your Christian beliefs? Because if you are, you will know that there is a cost to obedience. Here's a tough one. Are you actively trying to love every person that God has placed in your life? Because if you are, you will definitely know that there is a cost to obedience. Now, Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You turn to Matthew nineteen sixteen. I want you guys to turn to Matthew nineteen sixteen. Matthew nineteen sixteen. This is the story of the rich young man. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deeds must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbors as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said, if you would be perfect, go sell 
what, your pos- what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and, and come follow me. The young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciple, Truly I say to you, only, will dif- only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus said, "Look." Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Yeah. Then Peter said in reply, see, what have, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we, we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in, this, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands or my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. When we read this, he's not selling. He's not saying we got to go and sell all our possessions. He's not saying... You want to be, if you want to go to heaven, you, you know, you got to be poor. He's not saying if, you, if you're a millionaire, you, you ain't never going to get to heaven. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is there is a cost to following me. He's saying there is a cost to, to obedience to me. Jesus isn't talking about, you know, the poor. He's talking about the cost of obedience. Brothers and sisters, the kind of obedience that Jesus is calling for the church at this hour for his bride is an obedience that counts the cost and is obedient to Christ no matter the cost. We have to be obedient to Christ no matter what the cost is. And the third, our obedience to God needs to be led by the Holy Spirit. It needs to be led by the Spirit of God. In uh, chapter 5 of Acts, verse 32, it says, and we are witnesses to these things, and the go- and which is the, the gospel of Christ, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. Our obedience to God starts in our obedience to the Holy Spirit. It has to start with the Holy Spirit. You know, how do we know when God is calling us to be obedient? It's through the Holy Spirit. And it says in 1 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take every captive, every thought to make it obedient to God. We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. And have you ever had times in your life when you're faced with a decision? No, it's not an issue of sin. You're faced with a decision. It's not an issue of sin per se. Both sides, both decisions are justified. And you come to a decision. How, how do we make this decision? How, like, how do we know when we're, we're being obedient to Christ and when we're not being obedient to Christ? When the things we're, that we're facing are both, it's like, if we can go this way, we can go there. I can take this job, I can take this job. How, how, how do we decide? How do we know what the obedience to Christ is? The only way we know is through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to be led by the Spirit. 
You know, there's people in our church that have been punched to come to Busan. They've been punched to, to pick up their lives here in Korea and move to Sydney. And you know what? Staying in Korea or going to Sydney or, or staying in Seoul and coming to Busan is not a decision of whether it's like right or wrong. It's not a like sin and not sin. Just because you, you say no and you stay in Seoul, doesn't, it's not a sin. You know, you're not, like God's not going to say like, man, I, mean, I don't like it. He's not going to punish you for that. But there is, a, there is a obedient path and there is a non-obedient path. That's being led by the Spirit of God. That's how you know. And some of, there's some of you in here that have been punched. There might be some of you in here that's been punched. And you guys, when you come to that decision, you guys have to know that there is an obedient path and the path that is not of the Spirit. Holy Spirit is always leading you into the truth. It's always leading you into the truth. We, the way that we know we are being obedient to Christ we're being led by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God. You know, it says that we have to be obedient to the Word of God. To this thing right here. We have to be obedient to the Word of God. But even in our obedience to the Word of God, we need to be led by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.6 3, Who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant? Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Even the Bible, we can go through this book cover to cover. You can try to obey everything that's in this book. But if it's not by the Spirit of God, Spirit of God it's just religion. It becomes religion. It becomes the religious spirit. The reason why so many churches today are filled with the religious spirit is because they try to read this. They try to follow this. They try to obey this without the Holy Spirit. You can read this. Every word, every chapter, every verse. Without the Holy Spirit, it's just words on paper. It'll be a bunch of stories and parables and rules. I've talked about this guy many times in many of my sermons. But when I was in prison, I knew a guy named Humpty. That was his nickname. We called him Humpty because he looked like Humpty Dumpty. It was big. It was like a round ball with huge arms and a huge head. And he would, I would see him, and we were, he was Filipino, and he was, I would see him, and he'd be reading this tiny little Bible. And I would say, hey, Humpty, are you a Christian? He goes, no, nah, I'm not a Christian. Goes, are you Catholic? No. Nah. Why are you reading the Bible? Goes, I like the stories. There are good stories in here. And without the Holy Spirit, this, this, this word of, the Word of God, this Bible... It just becomes stories. It just becomes a bunch of words. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that this becomes life. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we read, it's got to be through the Holy Spirit. And even in our obedience to the Word of God, it's got to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to be led by the Spirit of God. Ezekiel 36, 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. First Peter 1 2. First Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ, 
and sprinkled with his blood. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your life, yes, is salvation. It's the blood of Christ, but it's also obedience to Christ. It's through the Holy Spirit that we are not just hearers of the word of God, but we're doers of the word of God. And that's what sonship is. Sonship is, when we see this, it's not just listening and hearing the word of God, but it's actually manifesting the words through the Holy Spirit and doing the word of God. And this is the kind of obedience that God calls from his bride. It's that unabashed, unrelenting, unwavering, complete and utter obedience to him at all costs, being led by the Spirit, not just to hear the word of God, but to do the word of God. This is the kind of obedience he wants from us. And this is the kind of obedience that can change the world for the kingdom of God. But you know what? What kind of obedience do we see in churches today? We see selective obedience. God, look at all these things that I'm obedient to. I did this. I did that. God, look at this. I'm obedient to all these things. He's like, well, what about the stuff in your computer? Uh, that's kind of personal, God. Look at all this stuff, man. I, I went, I went on missions and I did all this stuff. I, I went to church. I did Bible study. Uh, what about the stuff in your computer? And we have selective obedience. God, I'm obedient to you. You know, I, I gave my tithe. I did all of this. You know, I, I and he's like, I, I, you know, I go to church every day. I've been out on the mission field. Now I've been leading. I'm a leader at the church. What about your finances? Well, I work hard for my money, God. And I give my tithe. Let's leave my money out of this. I'm obedient to you, God. Now I, I, you know, I go to I, Bible study. I'm on point. I've been reading the Bible every day. I pray to you every day. What about your relationship with your with your boyfriend? What about that? He's like, oh, why are you looking at that, God? <laughs> I'm obedient. I'm doing this stuff. Selective obedience is still rebellion. It was like King Saul. He was obedient to God, but selectively. That's good. In Corinthians, Paul says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. I mean, even now you are not ready for. And yes, we are to be sensitive to the spiritual conditions of the people that we minister to. And when we go, when there's a new believer, right off the bat, we're not preaching Calvinism to them. Like, you know, doctrine of election. Nah, talking about the love of God. When you're trying to get a prostitute out of like, you know, the, the, the sex trade industry, you don't go up to them and say, repent, it's sin. All this stuff, like, you know, God, fire and brimstone, you're going you're gonna to hell. No. You, you, you approach her with the love of Christ, with the unconditional love of the Father. Yeah, you give them milk before you give them solid food. But in no way, out of sensitivity, do we remove the doctrine of sin. No way, in, 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 out of sensitivity, do we remove the existence of hell. In no way do we change our theology. But brothers and sisters, we, at the church, we cannot be selective in our obedience. 
Because you know what happens? When we're selective in our obedience, we start being selective in our doctrine. And we start being selective in our theology. We as a church, we cannot be selective in our obedience. But like Paul says, we are to demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We cannot be selective, but we have to be complete in our obedience. We cannot have this stop and go obedience. I'm going to obey. Stop. I'm going to obey God. Stop. But man, we got to be full throttle in our obedience. We got to put our our pedal to the metal. We got to put those of you drive, you can't let let go of that throttle. You gotta be, you gotta be full throttle in your obedience. Yeah, things might start coming at you. You're like, but you gotta obey. You gotta obey. You gotta obey the calling of the Lord on your life. Your obedience cannot be stop and go. It cannot be selective. You know, in our church today. Throughout, throughout the world, out of a, a need to be sensitive to certain people, a lot of churches are selective in what they preach. A lot of churches are selective in what they teach. Especially the young kids. If they want to keep them in those pews. Man, they're not going to talk about premarital sex. They're going to talk about, you know, yeah, the love of God. And be happy, worship. They're not going to bring, they're not going to in any way try to con- confront them with conviction. Because they might just leave and go to another church. We cannot be selective in our obedience. And as a church, we cannot teach a selective theology. But when, as more and more Christians become selective in their obedience, it's creating a church that's being selective in what they preach and teach. And God's saying, no, it's time to stop. We have to have full obedience to God. Our obedience has to be unwavering. It has to be complete. I want to close with this. You know, as we read later on in, in, the, in the rest of Acts 5, it mentions this guy named Gamaliel. And I don't know if you guys know about Gamaliel. But he's a very famous Pharisee. And he's actually considered to be the most famous Pharisee of all times. He's considered one of the wisest men to ever be. People call him a genius. People call him a genius of the law. He was a Pharisee amongst all Pharisees. He was the president of the Sanhedrin. Probably the most recognized man in Israel at that time. And, and when we read what, what he says, it says when they, had, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill the, the apostles. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you are about to do with these men. For, for before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, around 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census 
and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. So this man in Gamaliel, and when you read this, it might sound very wise. You might think, man, you know, what he said actually freed the apostles. But there's a, there's a, a fatal mistake in Gamaliel's logic. And the fatal mistake in, in his thinking, in his wisdom. Although he may have been a genius, the advice that he gave it was worldly advice. And that fatal mistake was he was neutral about Jesus Christ. Now he's saying, if it's from man, it's going to fail. But if it's from God, no, we, we can't stop it. He, he was riding the fence. Like, let's just see what happens. Let's just see. No, don't leave him alone. And let's just see what happens. Maybe, you know, if it's from God, it'll just, it'll just crumble be nothing. But if it's actually from God, and we're not going to be able to stop this. This is just going to go on forever. But what he did, his, the, 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 the mistake in his logic was he was neutral about Jesus Christ. He left it there. He didn't follow through in seeing if this truly was from God. He was on the fence. Although he recognized truth, he remained neutral. And we can easily deduce that he never fully believed. There's no stories of him becoming Christian, becoming saved. And some of you today have that outlook about Jesus Christ. You guys are on the fence. This all sounds good. I'm going to just kind of sit back and see where it leads to. But Jesus says in Matthew 12, 30, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Don't be like Amalia and sit on that fence. But you got to go all in. God, God is calling you. Jesus is calling you. You got to be all in. It's all, it's all of me or nothing. There's no riding the fence with me. There's no riding the fence with your obedience towards me. You can't be this lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's what he says. There's no riding the fence with Christ. And a lot of times in our obedience, we try to do that. We try to ride that fence. God, let's see. I'm obedient in this aspect of my life. I want you to only see this aspect of my life. And not what's over here. He wants it all. He wants all of you. You want to know someone who went all in? He was a disciple of Gamaliel. He sat at his feet. As he dispelled all of this worldly wisdom, he was probably one of his best students. And that man's name was Saul. He later went on to become Paul. Acts 22.3, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as, ze- I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. 
But unlike Gamaliel, he went all in. When he saw the truth, he fully believed. And he was fully obedient. And we see how powerfully and wonderfully God used Paul. He helped Paul write. Through Paul, he wrote most of the New, of the, of the New Testament. This amazing man is because he went all in. He was the same. They, had, they both were the same people, in a sense. Gamaliel and Paul, they, they were both Pharisees. They were very devout and zealous. You know, Gamaliel, it's not like he was like a non-religious. He was a very religious man. He was so religious that he was probably the most religious man in, in Israel, in Jerusalem at that time. Just like Paul. And Paul was, he's like, man, I want to be just like Gamaliel. But when Gamaliel, saw, he saw the truth. He saw what was happening. And he, he was like, man, I'm just going gonna, gonna to be on that fence. We'll see. We'll see how this turns out. But Paul, he went all in. Like, you know what, God? If this, this is, he saw the truth. And the truth set him free. And he, he gave his life completely to God. And we see his complete obedience. When we look, when we read through the epistles, when we look, read through what, what Paul did, he was completely obedient to Christ. There wasn't an ounce and an iota of him that was not obedient to Christ. And that's what God calls his church at this hour. He's calling that kind of obedience out of us. He's saying, be obedient to me. Because you know what happens when we are completely obedient to God? We're, we, we rejoice. What did the apostles do after they got beaten? They were, they were beaten, probably whipped. They were all bleeding. But as they were leaving, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Man. We are filled with joy. And in order to experience that in our lives, we have to go, our obedience has to be complete. We cannot have selective obedience. But we, our, our heart has to be fully engaged to God. We have to go all in. If we want to fill this city, this country, this world with the teachings, the message, the good news of Christ, we have to be relentless and unwavering, complete in our obedience to Christ. No matter the cost, we have to be obedient to the person of Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the obedience that he's calling out of all of us today. I want us to close our eyes. And I want us to pray. I want us to pray. And I want you guys to look at the condition of your life and the condition of your heart right now. All of us, it doesn't matter if you're a leader, doesn't matter if you're a pastor, I want you to look at the condition of your heart. And I want you to look at your obedience to Christ. And I want you to, to, to look and see if there's any holes in your obedience. Is there areas in your life that you refuse to bring to the light? Is there areas in your life and areas in your obedience that you're saying, God, man, I want you to look at all of these. I'm being obedient to you in, in all these different areas and all these different things. But you know what? This area, God, I want, I want to hold on to, 
to that for myself? Can you just not look at that part of my life? Can I, can I just not be obedient to you in this area? And right now, Holy Spirit is in this place. And true obedience to Christ can only come through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And brothers and sisters, is the Holy Spirit alive and active in you right now? And if He is, and you have those places in your heart, those areas in your life, and you say, God, it's so hard to bring this into the light. It's so hard. I don't want you to, I, I, I don't want you to touch this part of my life. I don't want to be obedient to you in this area. And there are some of you guys here that are like, that are going through this. If you feel that there's parts of your life that you cannot bring to the obedience of Christ. I want you guys to make a stand today. Like the angel told the apostles to do. Go to the temple. Make a stand. I want you guys to make a stand today. I want you guys to stand up. Everybody's eyes closed. I want you guys to stand up.